Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Hawks Insiders, your Wednesday night X marks the word safe space as we spend the next little while looking back at the loss to Melbourne and looking ahead to the final home and away game of the season. It is Hawthorne versus Fremantle on the MCG. We will get stuck into that in a little while, um, but plenty to discuss in the meantime as the uh, Festival of the Steak Knives, as we like to call it, also starts cranking into gear as well. So we've got lots to talk about. Let's say hello to my friends, colleagues, co-hosts and fellow Hawks insiders. And we have nearly a full crew tonight, which is wonderful. Let's uh, work for me being the most important thing of all. Hello, firstly to Andrew Weiss. You are behind the Hawks insiders. Monica tonight, welcome. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, everyone. Good to be back on after a few weeks traveling all over the place. So looking forward to the next hour. Andrew Leyland, as we will call you for the next little while. Uh, Darren Levine has interrupted a very important business meeting to be here. Hello, Darren. Hey, Ash. Um, that joke will be lost on every single person that's not in our, our WhatsApp. Um, the backstory is there is that my daughter said that I have an important business meeting so I can get onto the spaces tonight. So big thanks and shout out to Ava for getting me here on time. Thank you, Ava, Hawthorne's number one junior supporter. Um, Danny Prince, hello. Hello, Ash. How are you? I'm not bad. Not bad. Uh, just the middle of the week, last week of the year. Uh, lots to get through, but looking forward to chatting. And Brad Klebansky, hello, Brad. Hello, all. Great to be here again. Round 24. It took forever to get here around 24. It is the longest AFL season in history. And um, I think we'll talk about whether how we feel about it all coming to an end. I think it's a, a valid talking point for a bit later on, given it, uh, how the season has panned out. Um, as always, we thank you for your support of Hawks Insiders, $5 a month, $50 a year for great Hawthorne content. It can be said in some by some that we do some of our better work as the, once the season finishes, with all the uh, speculation, talk, what have you, where the, we should be one of your first places to turn to for regular Hawthorne content right through the off-season, which sadly, at least for the men's program, starts on Saturday at about 4.30. Um, we will keep, keep the spaces going on a fairly regular basis through. might take a week off here and there, and we will certainly be doing... Uh, plenty during the trade and draft period and we have some special podcasts coming up as well which should be good fun but uh and as always if you want to join us for the conversation request to speak we'll get you on and uh if you've got a comment enter it in the comments field on the twitter or x space and as we do most weeks now or every week now we'll go through them towards the end of the spaces but let's start with a look back at saturday the mcg I wrote in my observations on, in our recap article that for a loss, it was one of the more enjoyable afternoons at the footy. It was actually from, it was encouraging. It was great watching the Melbourne supporters get a bit antsy and a bit uh, squeaky bum time for them at stages as Hawthorne nearly put into the sword a couple of times. But it was, a, as a, a former coach would have said, it was actually a, a really pleasing 
performance in a lot of ways. Um, let's start with you. We see one of the rare games you get to these days. So you can start with the good. Oh, that's a little bit harsh. I've been to uh, <laughs> multiple interstate games and quite a lot of games this season. But um, yeah, it, it was um, it was one of those games that um, was disappointing in that we really, you felt like we could have won it. But another one of the games from this season that you'd think that in two or three years' time, um, we will be winning. So um, in terms of the good... Um, the Blake Hardwick role on Cozzy Pickett was absolutely magnificent. He had 22 touches and maybe seven odd marks. Cozzy with just the five touches, two marks. Um, Reezy played his best game for the year on Max Gorn. You mentioned the other night on the pod, Ash, Max Gorn always dominates against us, takes well into double-figure marks, but Reeves had not just a great game beating him in the ruck, um, but certainly a great game around the ground as well. Um, In the middle, Connor Nash and James Warple led the way in the absence of John Newcomb and were both absolutely magnificent. Um, Big shout-out to Connor McDonald, played another fantastic game, and his, um, his resume is just building week on week. Um, and, and the other positive of our thought was Hustleweight's debut. Obviously, looks like he could be a player. couple goals early. Um, and, yeah, again, we'll add to that midfield depth. And um, as if we don't have such a promising midfield as it is to see him come, play his first game and do what he did was magnificent. So... Yeah, they're the biggest positives and, and plenty to take out of the game. Speaking of Hussweit, um a couple of things about him. Firstly, a wonderful video of his mates at the Rosebud Footy Club watching him kick his first goal. They were on their silly Sunday and they're all dressed up in the usual outfits that one wears to those uh, occasions. And there they were watching him on the big screen kick the goal, uh, his first goal. Uh, so if you haven't seen that um, bit of video, track it down. And a very good piece uh, by a friend of the us here at Hawks and Siders, Josh Gablich, uh, spoke to Hussweit. And uh, he was walking his dog, down at 9.30 Sunday morning, nervously around the streets of Rosebud, where he lives, waiting for the call from Sam Mitchell to let him know that he was playing or not playing. And then he got the phone call. And uh, not long after that, it was packed into the car for the hour's drive to drive from Rosebud to the MCG to play his first game. But he did look the part, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. I was just so impressed with his poise and his uh, vision um, just seemed right up to the speed of the game. Taking those two goals in front of a pretty sizable crowd at the G at crucial moments as well in the game. Um, you, you can't ask for a better debut than that, really. And um, it was, you know, capped off a wonderful day with him, I think. Darren Pritchard presented him with his number 44, the famous number 44 jumper. And yeah, just uh, another one to add, another smoky to add to our midfield stocks. Um, And he could could be anything. He's got a really interesting size as well for a a midfielder and quite a rangy, rangy looking kid. So it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. So, Danny, the scouting beforehand, you're our draft guru. The scouting reports beforehand, my understanding was that the draft community was fairly divided on Husweight. There's some who didn't see anything. 
and others who thought he, uh, he he really showed something. But the there were Pendlebury comparisons. Now, every year in the draft, there's a couple of players who get compared to Scott Pendlebury, who's been an absolute superstar of the game and one of the best players I've watched play in the last 20 years. Um, but he did have some Pendlebury-like traits. We don't get too excited, but uh, a couple of things he did, did remind you of the, of the great number 10 from Collingwood. Well, I mean, I think you dropped uh, the nickname Hendlebury about 14 times either in our WhatsApp group or on the pod, player review pod that night. But you're right. And on Twitter. Ability, and on Twitter, uh, multiple multiple places. I think um, his ability to find space in traffic and uh, his, yeah, the, that sort of uncanny way that time kind of slows down when he's got the ball. Will Day has a lot of that as well, I think. Uh, and it's a really, um, it's a really good knack to have because it just shows you, or just you just see that um, players that have that ability um, have less likely are less likely to to be tackled um, and caught holding the ball just because they seem to generate this space or have an incredible awareness of what's happening around them and they use the time that they have in a really, really effective way. So um, we do know, and we saw in his 15 disposals, I think 10 of them were handballs. He's an elite handball. So um, straight away in in traffic, um, the ability to get the ball out to those who are, are running past or uh, moving away from the contest, he does that um, really, really well. Um, he's a pretty good user by, by foot, another left footer. Um, I think the biggest knock on on Hustway is his uh, ability to cover ground in a speedy capacity. So um, pace and pace endurance, not necessarily his strong point, um, but the Hawks are developing such a wide range of midfield options that that might not actually be uh, much of an issue at all, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think it'll matter with him because I think it's more it's it's knowing where to where to run more than how quickly you get there, that will be the, the thing for him. What I found, I mean, a couple of times he got caught, uh, in the pace of the game caught him out, and that's no surprise. I mean, he'd been playing junior foot in, in VFL, but he didn't do a lot wrong in terms of using the football. He might have turned over a couple of times, but I don't have the stats in front of me, but seemed to make smart decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and good users do that, right? Like, um, you know, when, when you've got somebody whose who's absolute strength is using the ball by hand, uh, and who's also pretty handy by foot, um, when you give them the opportunity to use it well, they generally do. So uh, I would say straight away he, from a first game of perspective, and, and every player develops at a different rate, so this is no knock on anybody else, um, but he looked maybe more at ease with the, the increase in speed and tempo of the game than Cam McKenzie did in his first game. Now, whether that is to do with the fact that it was round 23 as opposed to, you know, early in the season for McKenzie, round one. Um, you know, there might be something in that. The speed drops off the game. There's not as much for the Hawks to play for, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, but he just looked like he adjusted quicker than most, which is a really positive sign, I think. And uh, a very good um, piece of footage to replay over and over again with him winning that one-on-one contest with Christian Petrarca as well. So pretty decent highlight in your first game. That was the episode that um, I was sitting in the MCC members, so there's a lot of Melbourne supporters. That mark was the one that, whatever gobbing off the Melbourne supporters were issuing beforehand, and there was plenty of that, 
that was a mark that actually shut them up because that's when they realised we've actually got a bit of a game in our hands. If the first game was doing, doing that to Petrarca, uh, maybe we're not playing so well. And for the rest of the game, they were actually a bit more circumspect and a bit more just concerned about how their team was going rather than sort of trying to bang on about how bad Hawthorne was. I don't know where it was from where you were sitting. Yeah, very similar for me. Very similar. And I think that... Um... I think the the melee at half time was also uh, just reflective of the mood amongst amongst Demons fans in the crowd, where clearly there was a little bit of concern. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought. I was still fairly sure that at some point, you know, Petrarca and Oliver would potentially get off the leash and it would just become too much. Their class would become too much. And, you know, to watch watch the Melbourne supporters squirm, yeah, that they were definitely not comfortable at that point. Um, Brad, uh, some dislikes before we talk about a couple more players who I think are talking points out of the game. Uh, not a lot of dislikes. I think the biggest dislike wasn't actually a Hawthorne player, it was Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin's comments post-game that a lot of people have touched on this week, especially in the media, uh, our mate Kane Corns, who I had a good chat with on Monday, um, I know he mentioned it on radio and I think he went with it on Footy Classified as well, stood up for Finn and uh, we heard Finn was on his sports day last night or was it, uh, a couple of nights ago after signing a new two-year deal, which is great, I'm sure we're going to touch on that. Um, from Hawthorne point of view, I thought James Sicily had an incredibly poor game. Lazy, they had to move him into the midfield in the second half because Jake uh, Melksham, uh, whether we like it or not, gave him an absolute hiding. Could have kicked five or six goals, Jake. Um, played a very good role in Sis, which we've seen a few times this year. Uh, St Kilda did it to Sicily. He needs to learn to work around that when players give him a lot of attention. Um, I thought Josh Ward had an incredibly poor game. Eight disposals. I know um, we stand up for him a lot. He's only in his second year. But if you're playing on a wing on the MCG, first year, second year, third year, doesn't matter. Eight possessions is incredibly poor. Um, the other one was, um, yeah, those, those were probably the main ones. Um, but overall, um, I agree with everyone else's comments. I thought it was a really good performance. I think if Jai and Mitch Lewis played with the dominance we had in the midfield in clearance, I think we that would have been a lot closer to that game. We might have even pinched it because um, overall, I thought probably for over two and a half quarters, we were probably the better team. Yeah, I'm not a big one for if, if so-and-so and so-and-so played because then you've also got an equal hypothetical then if had Bailey Fritz played for Melbourne, he's going to play this week. So he's one week off playing which is more or less the same as, as uh, Newcomb and maybe Lewis. I don't think Lewis is going to play on Saturday. But uh, no, it was a very, very encouraging performance. Melbourne, as Boise said, Melbourne were always going to get off the, cha- you know, off the chain at some stage in the last quarter and uh, and take over and, and get on top, which they did. But I think it was uh, probably qualifies as a hard-fought game. I want to throw a question open to all of you or player to discuss. Um, a school of thought from some is that that was just really the, the best game that uh, the notorious DGB has played for the club. Anyone care to comment? Yeah, I think uh, I think probably still his first game against GWS is probably his best game, and he'd want to rectify that pretty soon. 
Um, but there were some really positive signs from uh, from Denver um, in that outing against Melbourne, especially in the first half when um, he was hitting packs, uh, leading up at the footy, throwing his body into contests, uh, repeat efforts, contested marks. Um, the service dried up. Um, Service dried up in the second half, but the service going forward and our ball into our forward 50 completely dried up in the second half. So uh, he's not really to blame for that. So you didn't really get a lot of it after half time. Uh, but I thought his first half especially was was really promising. Uh, he, I think I mentioned this at the player ratings pod. He's a, he's a very nice kick at goal. Um, and I love the aggression and the aggro that he brings to the team as well. I mean, I tweeted about it uh, when the footage came up, but the... The melee at half time involving Finn and, and Clary, um, just the beauty of how Denver just like ambles up and gives him gives Clayton Oliver a really sort of sarcastic uh, like rub of the head. Um, he just enjoys that sort of stuff. You could just see he thrives on it. And you know, good footy teams uh, are unsociable. We were the unsociable Hawks uh, during our, um, three-peat era. And, and, you know, that really held us in good stead. So you want those guys that have got a little bit of white line fever that enjoy the rough and tumble, um, because it, it, it's part of the DNA and the culture of good teams. So, um, I thought it was a step in the right direction for Denver. Love for him to get about 15 disposals and eight marks and kick a couple of goals this week to finish his season off really strongly. Is anyone else concerned that we're talking about this being one of the best games of his career, 28 games in, and he kicked a goal and took three contested marks? Like, I'm with, I'm with you, Dave. Three years and 28 games later, you'd expect that his best game to be you know, a four or five goal effort, um, you know, if he's playing in the to, forward line. Just to uh, go against that, I mean, you know, we... We, so we want these guys to come in, these young players. And, like, I take exception as well to Brad having a crack at Josh Ward for an eight-possession game. When we were kids, when I was a kid, the Hawthorne Footy Club had players coming through that spent two or three seasons in the VFL before they even touched an AFL footy. Now we expect these kids to come in, and in their first year, if they have a game under 10 disposals, or in their second year they have a game under 10 disposals, we're ripping, to sh- ripping them to shreds on, on, on Twitter spaces or X spaces. I, I just think young players develop with different speeds in different ways. And sure, you would want more uh, of a body of work from Denver at this stage of his career, but the kid's 21 years old. Like, are we, thro- are we throwing him out? Are we, are we saying that he's, he's not going to make it? Like, Mitch Lewis had barely kicked a footy three years into his career. We were, we were riding him off. Now he's the focal point of our forward line. You know, these, these, there are plenty of examples across the AFL, of especially where bigger men take longer to adjust to the needs and the requirements of AFL footy. And I think we just need to sometimes have a little bit of patience and not expect these, um, these kids, especially somebody like Denver, whose draft year was wrecked by, not his particularly, but that whole year was wrecked by COVID, um, to come in and make an impact straight away is not always going to happen, especially in a bad side when you're asked to play key position either end of the field. Uh, let alone Prinzi, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it's interesting because Daz is obviously not happy with DGB, who oh, is two years younger than uh, than Cozzy, who he's prepared to give till he's 29 to put a few good games but together. But wait, wait, see, Cozzy has kicked five goals in a game 
and has he kicked has. it. So let's just – and he kicked and – Obviously, it was – And he did that in his that second, in second year. But the, the, point, the point I was making is if, if that's really his best – like I was, it was an encouraging game, I really have to say. Like he, he was attacking the footy. He was doing all of the things that you, you guys mentioned really well and impacting the contest. And that's really all you can ask for his development. But to say that that's – the best game of his his twenty eight game career. It is that is a seriously low bar. So uh, I think, given where he's come from this year, and the fact that we wanted to see so much more of him, I, I think it's irrelevant whether we're talking about best games, second best games, whatever. The reality is that he performed really well. He's put a few good weeks together, not brilliant weeks. But, I mean, for me, the way he was um, attacking marking contests, you know, there are plenty of other players we've had who um, just do not even get in the contest, not, not necessarily just this year, but the last few years. And all you want is the ball to at least be brought down, down to ground, having nullified a defender from being able to get an uncontested mark or an uncontested possession out of the back line. And the way he attacked it was very promising. Was it the making of him? Absolutely not. We know he's got another year of his contract. We know he wants to stay. We know it's unlikely he'll get traded. So all we can do is really look at it as a positive step in the right direction as Prinzi said, hopefully he has a good game on the on the weekend, a great preseason because we kind of need him in that forward line next season. Totally agree, and I I, I think that I don't want to take up the whole pod talking about Denver, but um I think it's just the expectation coming from being a, a number six draft pick, and you know, and that's why Cosy for me, it's a lot easier to forgive someone who a wasn't drafted as a forward. And B was drafted as a smoky pick really late in the draft. So I think those, you know, the, the expectation for better or worse for Denver is, is really high because of because of what we we picked him at. Right now, who's in Hawthorne's best twenty three? Well, who, who's who's a better prospect? And setting aside that Hawthorne a big chance against Zane Dersma, who's exactly that sort of player at the draft. But who, who Fergus Green or DGB? Who, who's a better prospect? I'm going to DGB. Well, oh, Granger Barras by a mile. Not even a question. I'm going to say Fergus. No, I I think that <laughs> the, ce- the ceiling is obviously we're talking about ceilings here, but the ceiling's obviously much much higher for DGB, and he's got all the tools to be a, a great player forward or back. So it's just it's it's going to take hard work, and it's going to take a bit of physical development, which, you know, that's sort of out of his control a little bit other than just doing the hard yards in the gym. But, um, you know, I, I think his ceiling is really, really high and I want it to work. I really want it to work for him. Yeah, and it's an interesting one just quickly heading into 2024. He's obviously, uh, Mitch Sam's obviously made the decision to play him as a forward. But looking ahead to next year, we're going to have Mitch Lewis back. He's obviously not going to play the last game. He's got his foot injury. Brandon Ryan, you think, is going to get that second, you know, get he looks pretty good. 
there's only room for one of Cozzy or DGB in the forward line as that third forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how we set up next year. I'd like DGB to get a consistent run because we've said all year we want to see him in the side. He's obviously not going to be used as a defender now. Um, he's going to be played as a forward. So what way they go with um, is going to be yeah, interesting because I think Cozzy, we've seen this year's played a decent role when he plays as the second forward. But you'd think Brandon Ryan is probably is probably going to get that spot. So I think DGB is a better option than Cozzy as that third forward. The last word on DGB should come from me. Oh, it's fairly clear to me that uh, DGB was going nowhere uh, quickly as a key defender. They see something in him. They also think he, he's lazy and doesn't train enough. It doesn't train hard enough. I think they thought the best education, best way to get to pull his finger out is not to have him running around for Box Hill, but actually running around for Hawthorne, seeing what's possible. And I think there's been a bit of that. So um, I think it's been a really inspired move by the coach to play him and to sort of just squeeze him into the team. And let's hope that DGB, you know, playing against big games against uh, Melbourne and Collingwood and MCG and mixing it up and ruffling Clayton Oliver's hair during a melee, you know, and getting the crowd on their feet and roaring. Let's hope that's what drives him to put in a really big sum on the track because there is enormous upside. And I think I commend Mitchell for finding a way to get him into the side when a lot of people just couldn't see it. So I think it's another tick for the coach. Let's move on. We'll talk a bit more about the team uh, as we look ahead to the Frio game. Um, we have, we've been flying through it. We've got a bit to get through. Um, the VFL Box Hill, 16-9-105. Bit of Frankston, 10-6-66. I'm not sure it qualifies as a brilliant win, Danny, given that well, Frankston are who they are and Box Hill are who they are. Meek, three goals. Arundel, two. Bramble, two. Uh, Wine, two. Bennett's. Bryce Butler, Green, Hall, McDonald, and Clay Tucker also amongst the goals. And in terms of the stats um, for Box Hill, um, Cooper Stevens had 28. Mackenzie, 25. Bramble, 24. McDonald, 22. Jack, 18. Uh, Bennett, 15. Butler, 14. Shanks Mitchell, 14. What sort of win is that for um, Box Hill, Danny, who now have a bye while the uh, wildcard round plays, of which I'm a fan of wildcard rounds. I'm not sure about the rest of you. And then the Box Hill final start next week. What sort of win was that? Yeah, look, it was a it was a solid win, and purely on the basis of um, the Hawks, the Hawthorne side having um, injuries that they did have, uh, which which led to changes disrupting the continuity of the Box Hill side. So um, Max Ramsden, who's been a mainstay, um, you know, as that second ruck for Box Hill this year, often the first ruck when Meek and Reeves aren't playing. Um, was obviously playing in the AFL team. Brandon Ryan was out sick. Um, Jai Sarong didn't play. He's been a mainstay down back for Box Hill. Henry Hathwaite's been, you know, an ever-present in the midfield for Box Hill. So there were quite a number of um, quite a number of players that play week in, week out for Box Hill that didn't play in this game. So you know, to be able to just go and get the job done in a really workmanlike, professional way would be pleasing to Zane Littlejohn. Um, there wouldn't be much that I'd be taking away from this game, but it would just be like, get that win uh, and move on, um, get prepared for the finals and then work out. Apparently there's some secret herbs and spices around 
eligibility for the VFL finals. Um, they're hoping that um, Cam McKenzie will be eligible because um, of the amount of games he started as sub and, you know, they'll get a few of these guys back in after the after the week off, like Ramsden and Husswaite and Sarong and Ryan, hopefully, as well. Um, so, you know, they'll be a pretty formidable side uh, heading into the VFL final. Well, look at the ladder. They finished third. Um, so how does it work? They'll play, they'll play Werribee if it's a top eight. I, yeah, I assume so, but um, I take nothing for granted with the VFL. They often uh, they often change things up, so um, I'll wait for confirmation. I'll, I'll reach out and get confirmation on that during the during the weekend and have that for you next week. Yeah, or, yeah, I'm I'm assuming it's wherever, but um, if if that's how it works, unless they do the one v eight thing, which I'm not sure they do. So, uh, if so anyone knows, of course, uh, put in the comments field. We will get to it before the end of the spaces. But yeah, it could be wherever. Away and they play at Werribee's ground for the at least for the first final. Yeah, but obviously there's that hardcore Hawthorne players who will be eligible to play. You would think that, um, presume they're fit, it'll be guys like um, O'Sullivan, Bennett, Bailey, McDonald, Husswaite will be eligible. Um, Ramson will be eligible. Um, Tate Morris will be eligible. Um, there'll be one or two others. They'll probably have eight to nine Hawthorne players. Uh, who will be eligible for it because Hawthorne had a, a pretty good year in the injury front. So a lot of guys, I could perceive another one, obviously. Hawthorne had a pretty good year in the injury front. And um, therefore, there's some good players who played a lot of footy for Boxer all year. Hawthorne AFLW played its final practice game for the preseason. A uh, bit of a disappointing afternoon. 8 64 to 06 lost. 06-6. Uh, to Melbourne at Casey Field. Um, it uh, followed a more promising match team against the Bulldogs the week before. Um, so they're saying that um, Bates, Fleming and, and Tilly Lucas Rod did some good work in the middle. A friend of ours, Akech Makur-Chot, was lively on half-back and young gun Matea Breed found himself at stoppages doing okay. But I guess not to score a goal would be a little bit disappointing um, for them. But I think it's the teething, the growing pains this team's experience. I'm not sure the, the, the yeah, they'll be a better team, I think, this year around. But I think they've got a much tougher draw that may reflect in the latter positions. But they're in for the long haul. Hawthorne, AFLW. Weezy? Interesting, Ash. Um, just interesting to note, obviously, the AFL during the week, potentially off the back of the Matilda's success, uh, announcing equal... Uh, prize money for men's and women's, a bit more added incentive in terms of the development of, you know, getting a team uh, contending for a premiership sooner rather than later? Yes. Well, they're they're going to do everything they can to uh, make the men's and women's competitions mirror each other, except for length of season. So, So 10 games this year, which is not ideal, but I still can't quite work out where they can get optimal bang for their buck AFLW in terms of when they play their games. So they just back in and play at the same time as the men's season and hope that it gets its own audience. I mean, you know, double headers or curtain raises gets talked about. It's not that feasible. Not a lot of people get to the footy early enough these days to sit through two games of footy, not like when we were kids and we'd get there for all the reserves and then watch all the first. So the AFL has a fair bit to work through with that. Now, we're doing a shout-out, see, aren't we? If anybody... 
wants to get involved in Hawks Insiders and to contribute content about AFLW, we are all ears. Is that right? Yeah, well, obviously, um, you know, most of our followers and supporters and, and the community, not just in this space, but through our sub stack, are used to seeing the significant amount of content we do throughout the men's season. And certainly the hope is to be able to extend that through the women's season with our recaps and um, having someone come on to be part of the insiders to talk about that recap uh, on our weekly space and, and have a look forward to the game ahead. Obviously, we expect to be joined throughout the season by Hawks Insiders owner Ketch, who who's come on a fair bit recently, and um, and the Emma Races and a number of other um, high level people. We've had um, chats with Beck Goddard in the past, so we're certainly looking to step it up. And I guess it's a call for anyone listening tonight on the space um, to this pod. Uh, once it drops in the morning that may be interested in um, or, or has an interest in the women's team, but also in journalism and in um, in potentially having a go at putting some stuff together, we'd love to be able to have a chat about opportunities that we're opening up for that through the insiders. Yeah, so if you can reach out to us, uh, hit us up through, send us a private message or whatever through uh, social media and we will be in touch. Now, a bit of player personnel news out of the Hawks. Another re-signing, Finn McGuinness for two years. Uh, Daz, your thoughts? Oh, I mean, he's, he's, he's really changed the game. In, in I know it sounds crazy to say this, but like I was talking to, to a Collingwood supporter friend of mine today and he, he's, he's just brought the tag back single-handedly. Um, and that, and People are starting to take notice now. He's being talked about on shows, and you know, I know that's not a, a test of uh, or, or an indication of um, you know how how good he is. But people are really like the, the, there's no one better at doing that role in the AFL currently. And it just he we've won games because he's limited or negated opposition players, and he and he hasn't done that through being a pest like Ryan Crowley and taggers of previous generations he's done it because he's so meticulously prepared and he's a brilliant athlete and so um you know it's it's a it's such a well-deserved contract i was worried at the start of the year whether he would find a place in this team but he's he's got a really defined and important role and he's really crucial to the way sammy wants to play so it's he's the heart and soul of that team in many respects father son there's a lot of romance about it and he he loves Hawthorne and, and, and we love him and him and I just was so wrapped for with that contract. I think it's so well deserved. So question for you. I want to ask you, Brad and Danny, this question. So he's, there's a role for him now in team, developing team. He keeps Hawthorne in games and helps Hawthorne win games against better opposition and the certainly the game against um, Collingwood with his job on Nick Dacos um, being an absolute case in point. In three years' time, if Hawthorne is where it hopes to be and where the supporters hope they will be on the ladder, which is a top four, top six team in contention for a premiership, would a player like Finn, is there still a role in a team for a player who's purely 
a negating player, or does he now is it, is it a challenge for him to be able to be better, a better two way player? And does he keep his spot in the team in three years' time when Hawthorne is 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 supposed to be in contention for the premiership? I think before I think if he plays the role he is now, I'd say no. Um, I love Finn. I think he's been brilliant. He deserves his extension, but he's perfect for where we are at the moment now. In three years' time, when we're hopefully in the top four and challenging for a flag, I think you can't afford to carry a player like Finn in uh, the side. I think he needs to work still on his uh, disposal, which I think he has improved a bit. He's getting a lot more of the ball this year than he did last. Like last year, he was consistently getting, you know, five to eight uh, disposals. I think he had 13 on the weekend. Uh, Oliver only had 14, and the tag was uh, released in the last quarter. So um, in three years' time, you'd think he would have to have a few extra strings to his bow. Prinzi might think are different, but I think for where we are now, absolutely, he's perfect as a spot for him. But um, three years' time, no. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting um, sort of thing to to ponder on and think about. Um, you know, the that good that reasonably good Fremantle side we beat ten years ago uh, in the grand final had a player in Ryan Crowley, as Daz mentioned, who was very similar in terms of the playing style as or outcome um, expected outcome as Finn is at the moment is that uh, Frio weren't really worried. Ross Lyon wasn't really worried that um, Crowley didn't touch the ball. He just didn't want the impact of the best midfielder on the opposition to be very high. So um, if Sam Mitchell thinks that 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 adds value in the team, even when we're challenging for a premiership, um, that's happened in, in good sides previously. So I'm not sure why that couldn't happen again. I think if Finn is honest, he probably doesn't want to be just a negator for the rest of his career. Um, he wants to be able to play in a midfield in and of his own merit. So um, he would be looking to add um, various strings to his bow as he continues to develop. I think the biggest thing for him, he's, he's actually, Brad mentioned, his ball use has gotten a lot better. Uh, I actually think it's his decision-making more than his ball use. Um, he, When he's under the pump a little bit, well, we talked about Henry Husfeld and his ability to make good decisions when he's under pressure because he has that ability to find space and time. Finn doesn't have that same ability. Um, he doesn't have that same sort of awareness and uh, and in tight. So he's got to work on that and ensure that when he does get the ball, he's making good decisions every time he, he gets it. And every time he uses it, he uses it reasonably well. Um, if he can limit an opposition player and get 15 to 20 disposals a game every every week and it you know, goes at 80%, then there's probably a role for him going forward. Uh, well, we wait until we, we, he's done very well to get the extension. If you haven't had a chance, I commend you to listen to his interview with Kane Corns and Jared Healy. Very self-aware, fully uh, invested in what is being said about him. Had a bit of fun with him. He knew he's uh, he knew that he was uh, a receptive audience with Kane and Jared. Kane, of course, being the president of the Tigers, AFL Tigers Alumni Association. Um, but uh, he's a bright, bright guy, Finn, and uh, a terrific interview said that the Hawks boys, a few of them are going overseas at the end of the season. They're going to uh, catch up with uh, Jackson Ross, former player, who's now a punter for the University of Tennessee in American college football. And he said there'll be a bit of training involved. So clearly the Hawthorne boys are going to leave no stone unturned to come back for pre-season in mid to late November, whenever it is, in good condition. So now I want to turn our attention to... A 
couple of players who've uh, out there uh, in free agency land. One who's been linked to the horse, one who has not, but was the subject of a passionate discussion in our WhatsApp group, which I think needs to be now brought to the attention of everyone listening to the spaces tonight. Andrew Weiss believes Hawthorne should make a play for Darcy Parish. The rest of us poo-pooed it. I'm going to get uh, I'm going to get um, Darren to uh, speak against the motion. But we see the floor is yours. Why should Hawthorne consider going after Darcy Parish? Okay, so let me just say I, I'm not. I think Darcy Parish for me it was more the idea of going hard over a free eight for a free agent that would be available now. And I used him as the obvious example to start with as someone who could add. I'm not 100% invested the same way Daz was with, you know, with Mr. Laddams to get him across. Um, but it was more about the, the premise around, you know, that there's all of a sudden this notion that we could play finals next year. Right, so how much more likely would that be uh, if we had another Carl Amon come to the club this year as well as at the end of next year to add to, you know, the, the best 22 to 30 players at the club? And the reality with, with that is that we've got so much space in our cap at the moment as well, that it's a good opportunity to get someone in that's going to be on good coin over four or five years and front-end the contract so that they are part of that that core group. And then we'll be going after someone big again in another 12 months' time. So Parrish is the obvious name for who's available, whether or not, um, given how good our midfield is. But, I'm, I mean, he's a very good footballer. Um, so it was more about floating the concept around, you know, we should be adding the one or two players now where clearly, and, and Ash, you've talked about this, right? That as we get better, as people are starting to buy in, we will become a destination club again. You look at what's happened in the media the last five to six weeks and the narrative's turned. So you know, it's potentially a chance to try and hook someone that is going to add to um, to our list and our depth and our quality. Daz, your, your comment in the WhatsApp was hard, no? So expand on that. Oh, I just think um, it's quite different to the Amon situation, which I really, you know, the, the Amon um uh, acquisition, which I, I really fully backed. I think that was a it was we needed we needed outside run and we needed someone that that could use a footy really well. Parish, he comes into that midfield and he takes a, a development spot away from Cam McKenzie. Josh Ward's going to want to rotate through there soon. There's players in depth that are Husswaite. There's players in depth that we have in that inside mid position, and unless we bring or reinvent Parrish as a wingman again. I know that he started his career there or play him off halfback or have a different role in mind. I just think it's going to hinder the development of what is becoming the, one of the most young and dynamic midfield groups um, in the AFL. And, you know, he's, he's not James Warple. He's not, 
he's not a hard, you know, no bullocking inside mid that's going to create space for other players. He's very similar sort of play to to Will Day, for example. And I just, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't see why we would make a play for him if he was a key forward. I'd have a different opinion. Now the other player. Uh, and I'll get Brad and Danny to debate this one. This one's a bit more likely because he's been his, his choice is down to two clubs, of which one is Hawthorne, and that is the big Asava Radagalia from Geelong. Um, Hawthorne apparently and Port Adelaide. And I know Brad, you are saying that you think he's over the line to Port Adelaide, but what would it mean? How would he work at Hawthorne? I'm a no to Asava. I don't think he's a bad player. I think we obviously saw him go back for Geelong. He's been serviceable, injury prone. Um, I just I don't think he's the right play for us. My, I've spoken to a few people and I've been told he's but the deal with um, Port Adelaide's done. He wants to play for Hinckley. So if he somehow if Sam's able to convince him because Hawthorne are very very keen, they have put um, a multi year at offer to him. But I've been told from a couple of different people that he wants to play for Hinkley and he's going to Port Adelaide. But for the sake of uh, the argument, um, I just think um, I don't think he's the right player for us. Um, if we recruited him, he'd obviously have to play as a key defender, which he has at Geelong. I think James Blank's been superb uh, this season. Um, he surprised me. He's actually better than I thought he would be. I think he's held down the key defensive position quite well. Um, I think our back line since Sam Frost has gone out of the side has actually been uh, really settled. Um, I just think um, the way it's structured the last six weeks is probably the way it'll look uh, next season. Um, I know we need depth in that position. Um, Sam Frost is probably not um, a plan for the future. I think Frost's going to end up at uh, North Melbourne. Ben Mackay is obviously going. I think Clarko is going to get Frost. I know he's kind of... They're going to get Melican from the Swans. Oh, is Melican? He actually wouldn't be a bad pickup because he'd come quite cheap. I still think Frost's going to end up at North. I don't know why. Um, I can't see him spending the whole of next year at uh, Box Hill. I think he's going to want to play senior football. But to Asava, um, I would say no. Um, he's not a bad player. We'd obviously have to trade for him. So in terms of draft capital, um, I know Prinzi speaks about this often. I think Geelong are going to want a second-round draft pick for him, whether it's this year or a future second. I'd say no to that. So I guess if we're going to, if you can get him for maybe a late third or an early fourth, yes, but I don't think Geelong would take that. Danny? Yeah, look, uh, it's not, not often I find myself saying this, but I agree with everything Brad said. Um, Thanks, Brindy. <laughs> no worries. No, um, I, I, don't, I don't see the appeal to Asava Radagalia. Um, I'm surprised to hear from Brad that the Hawks are actually legitimately interested. Um, you know, if we if we're going to look to bring somebody in, then um, if it's between those the two that we've mentioned, then you may as well bring in the free agent and not the guy that you've got to trade for. Because the whole issue with having to trade for a player like uh, Asava is that you give up, um, you know, points or picks or whatever it is, either in this year's draft or next year's draft, and we're a team that's not at that stage of our journey and not that time on our premiership clock where we want to be giving away draft picks for, for seasoned veterans. If you look at the way that Clarkson's Hawks did it, um, they only started adding the Josh Gibsons, the David Hales, the Brian Lakes when the foundation was established. Our foundation's still not established. So 
Um, I think we need to continue to draft and draft hard this year and probably next year as well. Before we start looking to add in those those veterans, uh, those top-up players and, those, and fill the holes in our list. So I'd be looking to go to the draft again this year. You know, the, the one that, you know, if, if you really want to look at it, maybe somebody like Jade Gresham, who's also a free agent, would be one you could throw a three-year, $550,000 a year contract at and see if he's interested. He could play the Chad Wingard role as a small forward if we look like we're going to lose uh, Wingard with the Achilles, obviously, and also Tyler Brockman. Um, but not not Darcy Parrish, unless you were looking to offload uh, one of the midfielders that we have. Um, and not Asava Radaglia because of what you'd have to give up. Ash, she's still there. You're yeah, sorry, Brad. Oh no, I was gonna. That I was gonna follow up, Prinzi. Um, I don't love it uh, as an option, but Gresham could be other one. I believe Carlton's called off a lot on him. Obviously, Chad's missing all of uh, next season. Um, Brockman's definitely going home to uh, WA. Um, that'll be announced probably in the next few weeks um, once the season ends. So we're really light on in that position. Um, unfortunately, Sam Butler hasn't come on as we all hoped. Um, I think he's going to start next year at Box Hill. Um, O'Sullivan and jo- uh, Jack O'Sullivan and Josh Bennett are a long way off playing senior football. So we need, there is a spot there. I know if we draft Zane Dersmer, he's, he'll probably start off playing as that high half forward. We've got more in our McDonald's who are excellent and will remain in those positions next year. But um, we definitely need one more, and Gresham might be that player. Uh, it wouldn't be the number one choice, but I think where our list is at and the lack of depth in that position, I think Gresham could be a decent pickup, as Prinzi mentioned, if we can get him on a contract that's say, yeah, between five and, you know, 600000 a year. Danny, the big upset on the weekend was the, uh, was the Western Bulldogs losing to West Coast, which lifted West Coast off the bottom, put North Melbourne back where many would say they belong, uh, or their natural home, on the bottom of the ladder. They will probably almost certainly get the number one pick now. I don't think they'll be even thinking about beating Gold Coast on Saturday afternoon in Teddy. What does that mean for Hawthorne at the draft? Well, firstly, for North Melbourne, it means three consecutive years at the foot of the table, which is pretty disgraceful for any any football club. Um, but for the Hawks, it, it, it actually probably makes things a little bit clearer in terms of the trading ahead of the draft. Um, West Coast may have looked to shuffle out of that first pick if they landed there. Um, you know, they are looking at copying the Fremantle model of drafting talented Western Australians, so there's no go-home factor. Daniel Curtin being the, the most talented West Australian um, wouldn't have been a justification to be taken at pick one, but potentially is at pick two or somewhere else uh, a little bit later. So if West Coast were in, to draft the pick one, they would have potentially been trading and somebody else would have come into there. With North finishing first, they'll just take Harley Reid. Um, they um, obviously need as much elite talent as they can and Reid is the standout. Um, but basically, I think it clears up a bit of a pathway for the Hawks to get 
um, you know, the player that they're most interested in. And, um, you know, if I had a guess right now to be Reed one, Curtin two, and then I would suggest probably Zane Dersmer at three uh, would be my choice. But I have heard that the Hawks have, have interest in a, um, a, a very impressive midfielder from Tasmania um, at the top end of the draft. So don't be surprised if it's somebody like Colby McKercher. Could Hawthorne do some sort of trade from three to four and help out? Uh, some talk about Hawthorne could trade down one and still get the, sort of a, a player that they're after, but uh, get, some, get something significant back. Could help someone out. I don't know if it's Gold Coast or someone. Is that... I mean, I'm a bit late. I'm paid too much attention yeah, at the moment, but no, the only yeah. Well, I mean, there's there might be something in that. Um, I mean, Jed Jed Walter is the player that is um, slated to go um, high up in the draft, and and some have said that if he was in the open draft, he might even rival Harley Reid uh, for pick one. But we know how these things work when players are tied to clubs. Um, other clubs don't put as much work into them, and often the bid doesn't come where it should. So for argument's sake, uh, the Jason Horn francis draft, he went at pick one. Nick Dacos was clearly the best player in that draft um, and should have gone at pick one or pick two um, at worst. And I think he was end up, he ended up getting bid on it like pick four or five. So um, that same thing could happen with Walter. If Coast want to keep their pick and pick before Walter, we could potentially look at doing a deal with them um, to slide back one pick so we don't bid on him because I think we would bid on him um, if he was available. Um, maybe we say, hey, give us a give us your first-round pick next year or a second-round pick this year or whatever. They probably won't give up a pick this year because they have so many um, academy players they need points for. But they might, they might um, look to entertain a trade there and give us somebody, one of their plethora of young midfields, maybe Elijah Hollands or somebody like that. They could do a trade in in the um in the in the trade period but that's uh something to keep an eye on ash and a good little machination um as you know a, a draft uh, and trade potential option there but if gold coast trade uh, a player for a draft pick then they'll be accused by damien barrett tanking so they may not want to go down that path now i want to ask you darren and uh, andrew just for a bit of love before we get into the questions um, a bit of love for John Newcomb and Will Day, who were today selected in the AFLPA 22 under 22 team, uh, which is becoming increasingly prestigious. And John Newcomb was given the huge honour of being the vice captain. Yeah, I. Thankfully, not asking me to give a toast to Jai this time, Ash, because. <laughs> I really uh, <laughs> that assignment was not was uh, a bit of a curveball, but um, I don't I don't know how much more love I can give John Newcomb on this uh, platform. It's uh, it's incredible what he's been able to do, and to be vice captain, you know, he's getting the recognition he deserves. It's going to be very interesting to see how he fares in the in the PCM, which I think is probably looking like the favourite. Um, at the moment, and and in the Brownlow as well, we could uh, you know get up there in the in, around that fifteen mark, perhaps. So, what a year for Jai! The ceiling keeps getting higher, and then Will Day, uh, obviously great for him to get the recognition his first full year as a midfielder, and he's uh, 
just the, the yin to Jai's yang in many ways. And, um, you know, who needs Darcy Parrish? Yeah, well, handy. Uh, I was just going to say handy having Will Day coming off any uh, interchange bench in a team. Um, and obviously um, they're also not a team that believes in tagging because Nick Dacos is the captain and our 22 or under year old who's the best tagger in the comp wasn't even, uh, obviously his form came well after noms and all of that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, the the other thing that's great while we're in the um, Danny Prince mode of kicking North Melbourne while they're down was that they only had one nomination or one player make it, didn't they? Whereas we had two, so that's a pretty good sign as well. So in two full seasons of league football, after his first season, um, he was named as by the AFL coaches, this is John Newcomb, as the best young midfielder in the competition. And then this year, he's vice-captain of the uh, 22-22 team. So I think the ceiling that some and, predicted for him is, uh, has been well too lifted. And Ash, going into the last couple of rounds where we don't get to find out the coaches' votes, he was equal 16th in the coaches' award for this year as well. So that's pretty high yeah, praise so also. Well, we might have noticed time next week how he fared in the last two rounds of season. Of course, someone had suggested that um, based on the post-match comments from Simon Goodwin, expect Clayton Old to get at least one vote from... in. One coach's vote in the uh, Melbourne Hawthorne game. Let's go to some questions and then we'll uh, look ahead to the season finale on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Phil says, interesting dig at DGB. He's only new forward line, only new to the forward line role. How many games has he played forward? Uh, maybe he's played half a dozen if you chuck in Box Hill as well. Good point here from Wok. And midfield is so good this year because of its hardness and quality over quantity. Parish would make us worse. Asava, we would have to pay way too much, so another hard no. Save our money and get someone who's going to massively improve us, e.g. Ben King. Uh, well, as uh, a few people think Hawthorne should be saving their pennies for Ben King. What do you think, Brad? Any chance at all? Of getting Ben King? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's always at least a 1% chance. We know this story. You know, he's close with his family and his brother. Dingley is probably close. You know, he's not far from where he grew up. I think, was he Sandringham boy? Hampton. Which is that uh, neck of the woods. The only issue now we have with Gold Coast is Damien Hardwick's going to come in there and completely change the culture of that club. So, a lot of the players who, you know, we would have thought would be gettable in the next couple of years, I think is going to slip quite a lot. Sam Flanders was the other one that I would have loved Hawthorne to get if Stewie Jew was still there. But um, yes, there's a 1% chance, but you're going to have to offer Ben King. A large amount of money, something that we have. And I, yeah, I spoke about this weeks ago. I think it'd be the perfect fit next to Mitch uh, Lewis. But yeah, is, are there a chance? Probably under five percent. So Hardwick uh, changing the culture of the club, just like Mick Malthouse changed Carlton and <laughs> Alistair Clarkson changed North Melbourne. Nah, very. Uh, I I think it's a little bit uh, different. I think Hardwick's a little. Is he younger than those guys? I think um, Clarkson, you know, has come to North Melbourne a bit uh, later on. Malthouse as well was a grumpy old man. Hardwick's had his six months swanning around uh, Europe. Um, I think he's the perfect fit for the Suns. I think he's going to do a great job there. Malthouse was at Carlton to just uh, vindictive to be vindictive towards Collingwood. And Hardwick is 
but in the last six, seven years, has been a far better coach than uh, Clarkson. So I'm, I'm with you, Brad. I think it's a fantastic move. Um, Obsessive Compulsive says, hey, can you comment on the Adelaide Swans goal against thing? Well, we want to stick to Hawthorne here, but he floats the idea, why can't the game be called a draw, the point split, and the Swans prevented from benefiting and disadvantaging others from a game they didn't win? Well, I think you can't really, the rules of footy don't really allow that sort of thing. Adelaide just very, very unlucky, and the Swans kissed on the you-know-what once again, as they were also with the uh, unbelievable uh, getting Tom McCartan off at the tribunal. James Sicily must just absolutely... Uh, James Sicily just can't... He must look at some of the stuff that happens with Match Review and just cry or laugh. I don't know what he would do. Uh, I mean, all he needs to do is read any of our. Um, or oh, Brad's certainly been very vocal since since the. Uh, I went nuts last night. Brad, three went, yeah. three weeks for winning a free kick for a tackle that won a free it. kick. And you saw but, Tyler Sonsi got three weeks for literally punching someone in the face. Do, yeah. Do you think that uh, that if you know that hair rub that that hair rub that Prinzi had mentioned that DGB did, if that was this, he very well may have ended up with a fine. I yeah, mean, would have copped, would have copped, well, he's, didn't he cop a fine for Nor- for pulling off uh, Norton's the headband? headband? Yeah. Two yeah. Years ago, I thought he got six weeks for that one. Yeah. And you had um, <laughs> also mentioned earlier in the year when we played uh, Geelong, Will Day copped two weeks for a tackle where the Geelong player got straight up, no remonstration. He cops two weeks for that. Sis got three for winning a free kick. A guy punches someone in the face. Tom McCartan brokered a, a player's jaw and he gets to play. That's outrageous. Um, Can we go back, though, to the, the goal, the Dylan Moore goal that was called a, that uh, point? A very yeah, that si- was the goal as well. Similar to the Adelaide <laughs> situation. No? Yeah, it was a clear goal. Oh, I thought no, so too. Hit, and they uh, hit the post. No? Um, Box Hill, uh, from Hawks Hill, Box Hill, second play third on the weekend, second and third of September, which means the Hawks play Werribee. Patrick has uh, said, has sent in Sicily to the midfield, become Mitch's second last game of the season go-to. He did that against Richmond late last season, you're right. Um, but I think that was because Hawthorne actually trying to lose the game. And, um, you know, and uh, which ended up happening because Tomlin's kicked eight goals. Um, Hawks 12 also says, get a defender in with a salary dump and maybe pick up another draft pick with it. Uh, well, that's, that, all that salary dumping is going to happen and pick whatever it's called. And that's why Hawthorne has been in some quarters to Nick Haynes from the Giants. Also from Hawthorne, agree with Danny on the patience with the young players making impact. But then it is more important we draft in some players in the mid-20s age bracket and have some experience. Um, Richard Allen, good question. Any chance Cyril will be at the 2013 reunion? I'm assuming Clarko won't be. There's actually two reunions. There's an unofficial, the players are getting together on the weekend, and I think there is some sort of the few that will be there, because so many are involved in other clubs, but there will be some sort of uh, event at the MCG on Saturday. I don't know whether they've got a lap of bottle planned. Probably should check before we came, we started this, but there will be some sort of recognition. And then on the 26th of September is the formal reunion, which is a big a ticket event at the club. My understanding is that uh, Alistair Clarkson's animus towards Hawthorne has largely died down on the count. Firstly, of taking some time off from football, perhaps um, the council of some people very close to him saying that, um, you, mate, you've had an incredible impact on that footy club and you can't allow it to eat away. You've, uh, 
you've you've been uh, you've been such a giant of the club, uh, just left bygones be bygones a bit. And I think also the departure of Justin Reeves and Jeff Kennett sure um, also has made a big difference there. So if Clarko is at the re- I think there's now a good chance that Clarko will be at the reunion, which will be a wonderful thing to see. Um, Danny, Ivan sent you a couple of questions. Um, uh, Liam Henry should be in the hunt for him, or is he going to the Saints? And where is Will Lorenz at the draft? Yeah, well, Liam uh, Liam Henry is it Liam Henry? Yeah, yeah. Um, Liam Henry is the is is the one of the players that I loved in his draft year. Um, if we could somehow wrangle a straight swap for him and Tyler Brockman to get him back over to WA, I'd be all over that as an option. I think um, Henry has serious chops as a footballer. I think he can play multiple positions um, on the wing uh, as a half forward um, and has some some real tricks. Um, and the second question was around Will Lawrence. So he's, he's dropped off. He was um, identified as a potential sort of top 10-ish pick at the start of the year, but he just hasn't had the, the senior year, I guess, that uh, he would have hoped for. So... His draft stocks, he's probably looking like being a second-round pick at the moment. Um, obviously, most most Hawthorne supporters are interested in him because his grandfather played for the Hawks um, and there's those family ties and we love... No, the, saying his grandfather played for the Hawks is, is understating it about tenfold. His grandfather's Graham Arthur, one of the greatest Hawks of all time, and, the first premiership captain. And, <laughs> 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 Number 25. Did his grandfather play for the horse or not? Did his grandfather play for the horse? Danny. Anyway. Danny wasn't born in the 50s, though, in his defence. Danny, please. I'm just more intrigued. I'm just more intrigued that the first name you came up with off the top of your head was Jason Danochenko. That's Brilliant. Don't think of someone who played for the Hawks. Well, he played for the Hawks. Great North Melbourne, North Melbourne <laughs> champion, Jason Delanchenko. <laughs> okay. That's a few from Mick. Parrish doesn't address the leg speed issue. That's missing link in the midfield. Agree with that. McGuinness needs to become like Brad Sewell. That's similar issues when he started. Yeah, Brad Sewell was really a negative player when he started, and he worked so hard on becoming a reasonably good a, a player with the footy as well. And also, DGB playing forward for the five, six games, including Box Hill in his career. Um, so thank you. A couple more people want to talk about the Adelaide game, which we have touched on. Um, all right, obsessive compulsive. Um, Sammy played on the best taggers of his era. He knows how they work, how to count, and what Finn needs to do to make it work. Sammy is an expert because he had a front row seat. That is a very, very, very valid point there. All right, let's look ahead to the um. Some afternoon, one forty-five MCG. It's going to be interesting to see what sort of crowd they get. Apparently, the Hawks are desperate for as many people to get there as possible. I don't know whether the AFL is looking at this sort of crowd and thinking how it'll affect what they do with Hawthorne with the fixture for next year. But the Hawks are really keen to get as many people there as possible. So, really, there's no excuse if the weather's even half decent. And even if it's not, there'll be enough undercover seats for everybody who wants them. So, try get MCG Saturday for the last game of the year. It is the game Hawthorne are actually favourites. Uh, block your ears for 10 seconds there and they're paying about $1.60 for the win which is reasonably good so there's a strong expectation that they will get the points Brad, a um, couple of questions that we always ask of you, or three questions firstly, a very very quick preview of selection dissection 
Uh, interesting. I'm going to be writing it tonight. I think um, Jai will obviously come back. I think Ned Long's going to go out for him. The interesting, I think um, Sarong looked really good when he came on as a sub. I'd love to see him get a full game. I think Ramsden's going to go out. So it's, if Brandon Ryan's over his uh, illness, I think he comes in. But I'd love Sarong to play a full game. And I think Bailey McDonald's a good option as a sub. I'd like to see him play um, yeah, another quarter. I think Brinsey touched on this last week. He was quite stiff to miss out. I thought he was really good against the Bulldogs when he came on at early. So I don't think there'll be a massive amount of changes. Will Day sat out, I think, the majority of the last quarter. I think he just had cramp. Um, so hopefully he's all right to play. Mitch Lewis won't play. Um, so I don't think there'll be a massive amount of changes. It'd be nice to see Cooper Stevens get a game, but I don't think it'll happen. So I think we'll only see the two, maximum three changes. And the other question for you, of course, is who, will the, who is the Callum Brown for Freo this week? Uh, probably Fredericks I would go with. Um, their small forwards are actually pretty good. Schultz has been in really, really good form. The interesting one's going to be who Finn goes to. Um, Brayshaw, last time we played Fremantle, absolutely destroyed us. I think he had nearly 40 touches and kicked two goals. I think Caleb Sarong's the more effective player. So Finn will go to one of them to start, and if the other, if one gets off the chain, I think he'll play on both of them. Hayden Young's a smoky. He's moved into the midfield probably the last four to six weeks, and he's actually been really, really good. I think Freo will actually be good uh, next year um, with that midfield uh, unit. But, yeah, I think Finn will probably start on a Sarong, and then he'll go to Brayshaw if Brayshaw gets hot. Danny, who can lie this week? Who do you think? Actually, I really like the idea of putting him on Hayden Young because um, both Brayshaw and Sarong have used, probably had experience of being having run with players run with them, uh, whereas Hayden Young, it could completely throw him off his game. Uh, and he has been, as Brad mentioned, he's been very good for them since transitioning into the midfield. So um, I reckon I'd roll the dice and, and get... Finn to shut Hayden Young down. What about that Amira chap? I was going to say that, yeah. Uh, Got to shut him down. He's out. He's Jaeger's not going to play. He's been ruled out for the rest of the season. I just want to throw it up so Brad will call him Jaeger one last time. (laughs) I gave you your Jaeger. Got him, yeah. Got him. Um, uh, Tips and margin. Where's he? Uh, I reckon we're going to win. I think that we will win by about five goals and go out with a bang at the G on the weekend. Yes. Uh, Hawks by 65. Oh. Brad? <laughs> yeah, I reckon Hawks will win this by four or five goals. This game, I reckon Frio have absolutely zero uh, riding on this game. I think they could think of nothing worse than flying to Melbourne round 24 when their season's done. So I'd be disappointed if the Hawks don't win. I reckon there'll be a decent crowd as well. I'd be surp- I reckon we can get over 40,000. <laughs> so I think, yes, I've got a feeling the Hawks supporters are going to come. I don't know why the last chance, I think it's been a really, really good year. I reckon they'll get between 35 and 40,000. You can buy me a coffee at work on Monday when uh, the crowd comes in at around 22,000. Uh, Danny? Um, so it'll be... Typically Hawthorne, if we go and beat Frio, because Ash, the little, um, you know, proposed trade between Hawthorne and Gold Coast would be dependent on the game between Frio and Hawthorne on the weekend. If we beat the Dockers, um, then the Dockers would uh, 
and and Gold Coast beat North Melbourne, then Gold Coast would go up a spot, um, and that whole trade wouldn't work anymore. So um, it'd just be typical Hawthorne uh, for us to win this one when we don't actually want to win it, um, and then lose a bit of uh, potential leverage in the trade and uh, draft period. So for that, I'm going to say Hawks by 24 points. Yeah, I think the Hawks will win by about 12. But look at the free outside. It's actually, they've got four players in that under-22 team. So as you say, they've got a fair bit of talent. But, gee, it's going to be... Justin Longview came out last week and after they lost to Port Adelaide at home and said, I think our boys are pretty tired. Uh, I think they've got much left for them. So you're right to have to get on a plane and come to the other side of the country to play Hawthorne. They're up and about in front of their home crowd. I think it would be disappointing if Hawthorne didn't win reasonably comfortably. But I think Hawthorne probably make it a bit hard for themselves and, and win by maybe uh, between two and three goals. We see we've got a ticket offer. Yeah, just uh, a couple of things to mention. First, firstly, though, I'd just like to, before all of our, you know, North Melbourne fans who are listening, jump on to let us know, um, former North Melbourne great Jason Danilchenko actually didn't play a game for Hawthorne Ash. He was... Uh, selected in the uh, 98 preseason draft and did his knee, missed the whole season, played all of 99 in the reserves and then got delisted at the end of that wonderful season. All right, so, so Todd but... Ridley played for Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah, much so, better. So, much better. we see what you're saying is Jason Dalenchenko, not a Hawthorne player, Will Lorenz's grandfather, a Hawthorne player? Is that is that what uh, we're getting uh, at? I've, I've heard that he may have been a, a, a fair figure at the club but getting back to your original point ash yet yeah, we've got a great um subscription offer going for this week thanks to our friends at ticket blaster we've got four um premium seats at the mcg for the frio game uh level two center wing of the shane warren stand um and basically anyone pre-friday who grabs an annual subscription to our Substack. Um, we'll go in the draw to win it. And, and we're also running a um, a promotion, uh, 20% off the annual price of, of an annual sub at the same time. So either check out the link in our bio, go back through our last few tweets. We've been retweeting the offer throughout the day. Um, jump on board, help support us and... Hopefully, score yourself um, some tickets. They're worth four hundred bucks combined, the four of them. So, score some tickets to the last game for the season. Please do, please, please support our friends at Ticket Blaster. That has been the spaces for this week. Thank you, Weezy. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Brad. And thank you to everybody who was on board tonight for great questions and great feedback. We will be here this time next week reviewing the final game of the season and setting the scene for the off-season. We'll have a preview of the AFLW season, hopefully with a guest who actually might have half a clue what we're talking about, unlike us. And um, we will have regular space. As we said, we'll let you know how often the space will be coming uh, coming through through September. Most weeks, if not all, Certainly will be very busy and active uh, in the lead up to and during the free agency and trade period and then later on around draft time. But um, we thank you, everyone, for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 for, a year, for the year. Um, enjoy the footy. It's a bit sad. But one thing I didn't ask was 
how sad we are it's the last game. It's been a long season, but I think also um, it's been, a, as promised by Rob McCartney when he spoke to us, a good second half of the year. Uh, I think once we're ready to put the season to bed, even though it's been fun going footy these last few weeks, um, let's hope the Hawks gives one good last performance on the weekend to take into what will be a long off-season. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy the footy on Saturday. We'll talk, talk to you again very soon on the Hawks Society. Thanks and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.